Scripture reading this morning will be in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. We can all stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'll read these verses if you just want to follow along there. Acts 11, verses 19 through the end of the chapter. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Our Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word this morning. Teach us and instruct us from this passage of Scripture before us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are continuing our study through the book of Acts, and throughout these first 11 chapters, a lot has happened. Uh, You remember back in chapter 1 of Acts, for those who were here, uh, we started the book with Jesus ascending to heaven and uh, giving his instructions to his followers to go out into the world with the message of the gospel. 120 people gathered in that upper room in Acts chapter 1. That was the totality of the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, of course, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls are saved, baptized, and added to their number. And the church in Jerusalem just continued to grow from there. More and more people being saved and added to the church until finally persecution interrupted the activity of that first church. Stephen was executed back in chapter 8, and then Saul went on that rampage, arresting people and trying to just stamp out the church. And this persecution led to the scattering of the church into regions that it had not yet gone to. So Christians are fleeing literally for their lives, and everywhere that they're going, they're preaching the word of God, they're preaching the gospel of Jesus, and they're establishing churches. Uh, Saul, of course, has been converted at this point in Acts chapter 9. We saw that when Christ uh, saved Saul on the road to Damascus. And so uh, the church has had a time of peace and expansion once again. Now the kingdom of Christ is expanding in two ways. Uh, First is geographic, as the gospel is being spread to uh, regions beyond Jerusalem. And the second sphere of expansion is cultural, as now uh, the Gentiles are being reached as well as the Jews. And so our text begins by recapping all of this. Verse 19 says, uh, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, so that scattering that took place back in chapter 8 of Acts, they had traveled as far as Phoenicia, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. And so the church uh, had gone up 
from Jerusalem where it started. It had gone into Phoenicia, it had gone to Cyprus, and it had traveled as far north as Antioch. Uh, and they're preaching the gospel only to the Jews, which is probably why they didn't go further. These were the Jewish areas. And so the, basically everywhere that the Jews were located in large numbers had been thoroughly saturated at this point with the gospel. And they were focused on preaching, uh, preaching the, the gospel of Jesus to the Jews. But now that Cornelius has been saved, uh, everything changes. Now, that, that, now that, the, the, that the church understands Gentiles are going to be included in the kingdom as well, uh, now they start to look around and say, wow, there's a lot more uh, of a mission field here than we realize. And so they begin to preach to the Gentiles that are in those cities and towns as well. Uh, verse 20 says that some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, so the Greeks, these would be non-Jews, uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so uh, verses 19 and 20 are telling us of a shift that is happening because of the conversion of the Gentiles that we've seen in the last chapter. So far, they had been preaching to the Jews in the Jewish areas. Now the gospel is about to go everywhere to everyone. And Antioch becomes a strategic location uh, to be the center of the church's mission to the world. Antioch was a very large city at this time, far larger than uh, Jerusalem. Uh, probably at this time, it was the third largest city in the ancient world. You would have Rome, of course, number one. Uh, Alexandria in Egypt would be second. And then third would be Antioch in Syria. A very large strategic place for the church. And as we continue working our way through the book of Acts, you're going to see that Antioch becomes uh, the nucleus of the church. Uh, whereas Jerusalem had been the center of Christianity for a while, uh, now Antioch will be that place where the church planters are sent out into really all of the inhabited world by the time we get to the end of Acts. But here we are in Acts chapter 11. We see the beginning years of this uh, central strategic church here in the city of Antioch. It started with some Jewish Christians uh, who were scattered because of the persecution. They established a church here in Antioch, and then they just started preaching the gospel to those around them. And here in verse 20, we see now they're preaching to Jews and Gentiles alike. And verse 21 says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Uh, the hand of the Lord represents God's uh, power and presence that was with them. And as a result, a great number of people believed the gospel. They turned to Christ. A great description there of biblical conversion, believing and turning to the Lord. Uh, you hear the message of the gospel, you believe it, then you turn to the Lord, uh, yielding your life to his service. Verse 22 says, this report, uh, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Again, so far at this point, the center of the Christian movement has been the church here in Jerusalem. Uh, the apostles were based out of there. We've seen that they're kind of, at this point, traveling around from church to church, overseeing things uh, in various towns and cities where churches were being planted. And so when the report comes to the church at Jerusalem, there's a, this church in Antioch that is experiencing uh, tremendous growth. Uh, more and more people are being saved and added to their number. Uh, and uh, so they send Barnabas uh, to Antioch. Barnabas is a very trusted man in the church. We've seen that in previous chapters. And so they, they, the church in Antioch, this was a new church. They needed oversight. They needed leadership. And so Barnabas is sent to help structure this new church in the city of Antioch. Verse 23 says, When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. 
So Barnabas gets there. He sees that this really is a work of God, that God is drawing people to himself, that people are genuinely being saved, converted to Christ. And then notice he's glad, but then notice also the exhortation that he gives. Barnabas says to the church, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I want to look at that last phrase in a few other translations so you can get a better sense of what Barnabas was saying to them. Uh, the NET says that Barnabas encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Uh, here's the, the King James Version. Barnabas exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You see, right now, things were going great in the city of Antioch. God's presence with, was with them. Great things were happening. Uh, the church was growing. People were being saved. But Barnabas knows that in the Christian life, there are good times and hard times. It's easy to turn to the Lord in the easy times when his hand is clearly at work in your midst. But then in times of difficulty, we have a tendency to abandon the Lord. And hard times would be in their future. In fact, the very next chapter, if you just peek over there, begins with the death of the Apostle James and the arrest and imprisonment of Peter. Uh, dark days were ahead for the church. And so Barnabas is instructing them that basically of our need to determine in the good times not to abandon the Lord when hard times come. Trials are the test of our faith uh, to see if it's for real. Uh, back in Luke chapter 8, we read the parable that Jesus gave about the soils, one of his most uh, famous parables. <clears throat> It'll be helpful, I think, for us to recall it here. Beginning in verse 4, Luke 8, we read, A great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, to Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now the path is the hard soil, the seed is unable to penetrate through, and so it just sits there on top of the ground until a bird comes and eats it. Verse 6, some of that seed that was sown fell on a rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, meaning this was shallow soil on top of the bedrock, uh, right beneath the surface. And so the plant could get enough do uh, soil there to grow initially, but it couldn't grow strong roots, and so it would wither away. Verse 7, some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Then in verse 11, Jesus gives the explanation of this parable, of what he's talking about with this seed being sown in the different uh, sorts of soils. Verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they do not believe, uh, so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And so the seed of the gospel has been spread uh, throughout Antioch, this new city, and there was a lot of fruit. A great number of people were turning to Christ. 
And Barnabas is saying to them as they're coming to the church, don't be the shallow soil. Don't be like the plant that receives the gospel quickly and eagerly, but then you have no roots. And so you end up falling away when testing comes. Barnabas is saying to them, purpose in your heart now that you will remain devoted to the Lord, that you will be the good soil. Verse 23, when he came and back to our text, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So under the leadership of Barnabas now and his teaching, the church continued to grow and thrive. And apparently it became more than he could manage on his own. Verse 25 says, So Barnabas went to, to Tarsus to look for Saul. Uh, now we need to do a quick review of what happened here in case you've uh, forgotten. Saul has not been mentioned here in the last couple of chapters. Saul was persecuting the church prior to Acts chapter 9, and then God saved him. Uh, Saul spent in, about three years in Damascus in Arabia. Then he comes down to Jerusalem. He tried to join the church there. You remember, and at first they were uh, hesitant, uh, not sure if he was trying to infiltrate the church or if he was truly converted. Uh, but there was one person in that church who believed Saul, and that was Barnabas. Barnabas took Saul. He went with him to the apostles to convince them that Saul really had been saved, uh, that he was genuine, that he was one of them now. And so the church accepted him. But his time in Jerusalem was short-lived because now that Saul was a Christian, uh, he had new enemies. The Jewish leaders wanted him dead. And so the church sent Saul off on a ship uh, headed for Tarsus, where he would be uh, far enough away from Jerusalem uh, to be out of trouble. Now I want to show you this map again so you can see the proximity here. Uh, Barnabas has left Jerusalem. He's now uh, living up in Antioch. Tarsus is not very far away. And so as he's up there in, in Antioch, I, I kind of get the idea uh, that he, he just thought, boy, we're so close, it'd be a shame for me not to go uh, get Saul. And so he goes to, to, uh, to Tarsus. He gets Saul. He brings him back uh, to, to uh, basically, I think he needs help in leading the church. Uh, we'll see this in more in a, in a minute here. But about 13 years have passed. Uh, since Saul was sent off to Tarsus back in chapter 9. Okay, so by this time, Saul is not a new convert. He is well-established in the church. He is an apostle. Uh, he is leading and teaching. And so I think Barnabas is getting Saul to help provide leadership and to help teach this new church. Uh, this would be a great place for Saul to teach. You didn't have the, uh, the Jewish enemies that Saul had back in Jerusalem. Uh, you also didn't have members of the church who were you know, skeptical or afraid of him. Uh, since you know some of their fa family members or friends had been uh, persecuted under him uh, prior to his conversion. And so uh, here in Antioch, Barnabas could introduce Saul to this new church, and he could help Barnabas in teaching and leading the people here. Verse 26 says, uh, When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's an interesting little note there. Uh, Antioch then becomes the center of the church now. And it's here in Antioch where these followers of Jesus were first given the title Christians. It uh, seems to have been that those outside the church called them this, the, the Christ followers, the Christians. And so for a year then, Saul and Barnabas are teaching and leading this church in Antioch. And then verse 27 tells us one other thing that took place kind of during this time. Uh, verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And again, I think this is mentioned here to show us the shift away from Jerusalem to Antioch as the center of the Christian movement. 
Uh, and this is just a theory, but I wonder if maybe the reason the church was shifting away from Jerusalem uh, is because they knew that God was going to send judgment against the city soon. Remember, Jesus had repeatedly warned the inhabitants of Jerusalem that God was going to send severe judgment on them within that generation. And so perhaps in light of the judgment that, that they knew was coming, they didn't know exactly when it was coming, uh, but we know now looking back that it was AD 70, maybe that was the reason for the migration out of Jerusalem, since they knew that this was coming soon. In any case, prophets in the church, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're headed for the church in Antioch. We get a, a glimpse into one prophecy in verse 28. It says, one of them, one of these prophets named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the Spirit revealed this through Agabus, uh, by the way, it's very easy, it would have been very easy to know if Agabus was a true prophet or a false prophet. Uh, wait and see if it happens. And Luke lets us know that it did indeed happen in the days of Claudius. We know exactly uh, when this happened in history, by the way, from AD 45 uh, to 48. This famine swept over the Greco-Roman world. Uh, many historians of the time write about it. Uh, Josephus, uh, Suetonius, Tacitus, and his annals is a very well-attested a historical event. Basically what happened is the Nile River overflowed and it uh, messed up the wheat harvest. It kind of killed all the crops. And so that caused the price of all sorts of foods uh, to skyrocket throughout the world. And so the church knew that this was coming ahead of time because God had revealed it uh, through this prophet named Agabus. Verse 29 says, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to, uh, to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. We've mentioned before that in the church in Jerusalem, there seems to be uh, a high concentration of very poor people. A lot of widows that were actually supported financially by the church. And so they would have been in desperate need when this famine comes. And so these, this church decides we're going to send some money down to that church in Jerusalem and uh, help those, those folks out as this famine is coming. Uh, by the way, Saul goes down. Uh, to Jerusalem with Barnabas and with Titus on this occasion. He later writes about it in Galatians 2. Let's just uh, look at that text briefly. I think it'll help you get the chronology of events here. Uh, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul writes, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Okay, so Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. He spends three years there. Then he heads to Jerusalem. He's only there for 15 days. Uh, before there's that plot to kill him, you remember. And so in verse 21, he says, Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia. So they send Saul off to Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. Uh, he's there for, as we'll see in a minute, for 13 years. Uh, back in verse, I'm sorry, back, uh, uh, sorry, verse 22. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Uh, so he's saying, you know, I had to lay low for a while and stay up there, stay out of trouble away from the Jewish leaders. Verse 23, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then, and this is the next verse, verse one of chapter two, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And so this is the occasion of their trip, uh, which seems to have been a year after they had been in Antioch. So 13 years in Tarsus, one year in Antioch, then he returns to Jerusalem. And so what we see here in Acts 11, uh, again, is, is about 17 years, if you add it all up, since the conversion of Saul. And so he is a well-established Christian. He's a teacher 
here in this church. And they, they, in, in Acts chapter 13, by the way, we're going to see the church at Antioch sends Saul and Barnabas out uh, as missionaries. They go around from city to city, uh, planting churches. That's really what the rest of the book of Acts is basically about, is those missionary journeys. And I, I want you to understand, as we read through Acts, it's easy to think that Saul was uh, saved and then he was sent out quickly to be a missionary. But in reality, you know, almost 20 years of training was taking place here in preparation uh, before he was sent out. Uh, one more quick note on this while we're here in Galatians 2. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about this time that he had in Jerusalem, meeting with the apostles and the brothers there. He says in verse 6, uh, From those who seem to be influential, uh, what, they may, uh, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Uh, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. He's talking about the influential leaders in the church. Verse 9, When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars... Uh, pillars of the early church, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And so the leaders in Jerusalem on this occasion accepted Paul. Uh, they recognized him as a true apostle. Uh, James and Peter and John, these are leaders in the early church. Uh, they all perceived that God had chosen Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so uh, they give their stamp of approval on his ministry here. Okay, back to verse uh, 29 of our text. The disciples determined, uh, in light of this famine that's coming, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Notice the phrase there, according to his ability. Uh, the New Testament always teaches grace giving. We're never told uh, how much to give to the church or to those in need or anything like that. Never a percentage uh, or, or an amount we're told to give according to our ability. In proportion as God has blessed us financially, uh, we are to give. Uh, no one was made to give a certain amount here in this church. They all just, uh, out of their own free will, gave these donations to help those who would be in trouble. It's also striking to see Saul here helping to strengthen uh, the church in Jerusalem, the very church that he had worked so desperately to stamp out in his younger years uh, before his conversion to Christ. Now he's traveling down there with a financial relief to help these brothers through a difficult time. And so this is the start of the church in Antioch. As I said, this would become a hugely influential church in the plan of God uh, to send the gospel to the nations. And here at the start, notice there's no apostles involved at first. There's no big names here. Uh, even before Barnabas and Saul get there, the church was already exploding with growth. And the reason was given back in verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. We don't even know who was behind this from a human standpoint. Again, it's clear there were no apostles here. These were just ordinary Christians, people like you and I, sharing the message of Christ with people around them in the city of Antioch. And God blessed their efforts. The hand of the Lord was with them, which led to a great number of people believing the gospel and turning to the Lord. I think all of us would love for God to do something like that in our midst, for God's hand to be with us. So that a great number of people here in Gary uh, would believe the gospel and turn to the Lord. We can't make that happen. We can't force it to happen. That's something only God can do. As Barnabas said when he came there, verse 23 says, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. Now, Barnabas recognized that this was an act of God's grace, that so many people were being brought to Christ here in Antioch. Again, we can't force something like this to happen. God has to move. 
And so we pray, we ask him to do so in our midst if he would see fit. And I would like for us right now uh, just to take a few minutes to pray and to ask for God's presence in our church, that he would, in his grace, do a great work in our lives and in our city so that when it happens, everyone will know it had to be a movement of God. Let's pray together.